they're being raised, and I'm sure they're being raised there in your homes. Could I pray for you as we begin this message? Heavenly Father, it is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come before you, Lord, in, in believing that you have something very powerful, and you wouldn't drop something like this in my mind if you wasn't going to do it. So we declare the truth of your word and your presence. Bring that work of your spirit in this sanctuary, in those homes. And Lord, let the name of Jesus Christ be glorified through it all. In that name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. In, in Hebrews, the, the 13th chapter, and in, in verse 8, it really talks about something about how we could please the Lord. How many would really want to please the Lord? All right. Who doesn't want to please the Lord? Don't, don't raise your hand. All right. is, is that we really do. But it's as simple as this, is that we please him by praising his name. A heart of grateful praise. Listen to this in Hebrews 8, I mean Hebrews 13, 8. It says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do I hear an amen? Do I hear another amen? Amen. Do not be carried away by the kind of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy uh, place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burnt outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us, let us, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget I love, boy, it seems like he's jumping all over the place here, but he's really not. Do not forget to do good, to share with others. For that, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He, he wants you to praise him no matter what you're going through. And, and also, whatever you're going through, show kindness, goodness to each other. Going through these shingles, I've been praying for Arlene because there's times in that intense pain, I may not have been as patient as she would have wanted me to be. You understand? But yet in the midst of it, we're still to be kind to each other because this is a sacrifice of praise. Not our, only our praise unto him, but our kindness to each other. Because God wants the world to see that within us. You see, how we approach God really depends.
determines how we really look at him. Some view him as a cosmic servant. They're kind of demanding. Others view him as a judgmental father. They're fearful of him. Then there's those who view him as a loving, compassionate God. This Hebrew writer, he, he wanted to bring to the very understanding of knowing where we live, and he's talking to us today about that sacrifice of praise. There, there's an old song that some of you may know, others may not know. How, how many of you remember that, that old song, We Bring the Sacrifice of Praise? Who's never heard of it? And as many have not ever heard of it. It's, it's a great old song. In fact, I asked Anthony to come and, and to lead us in that song because it really speaks into our hearts. Would you stand with us, please? Come on, Anthony, bring it on. Sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you. Sacrifices of joy. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifice. Just give him a shout of amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may see it. Thank you, Anthony. You see, what I wanted to do here is to bring you to an understanding of what that sacrifice of praise. And so the Hebrew writer was, was comparing our worship to sacrifice. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to go back into the Old Testament, then into the New Testament, and take a look. What is this sacrifice all about? So there are four things that the priest brought to the sacrifice of God that really can relate to us in our sacrifice of praise today. First thing is that we engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. How many of you at times when you are worshiping the Lord that you feel like you're in a battle? No. How many of you at times that when you are in that battle, sometimes the last thing that you want to do is worship the Lord because you're kind of having a pity party, you know? You don't raise your hand. You don't want to admit that. But I'll raise my hand because I do. Oh, no. it's, it's that, oh, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through it? And then when we start praising the Lord, we really struggle with that because, well, it's a battle that we're going through because we're coming into a warfare with the enemy. And Satan is so 
fearful of us coming into that presence of Almighty God because he knows what happens there. Second thing that we enter into, into the very throne room of God. Back in the Old Testament, it was only the, the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies. Can you imagine that we would ask you to come into the church this morning, but while you come in, we're going to hook some bells up in the bottom of your slacks of your dress. And then we're going to tie a rope on you because when you come in, there's going to be that bell ringing. But when that bell stops ringing, because your heart was not right with the Lord in that worship and praise, God would strike you dead. That's what would happen to the high priest. That's why that they prepared themselves for a year to go into that Holy of Holies. That's why the night before they go into it, they wouldn't even go to sleep because they were afraid what they might be dreaming that would bring condemnation to them when they go into the presence of, of God. So when we come into that very presence of God, we're coming in to, well, his glory when we begin to worship him. The third thing, we confess the truth in a world full of lies. <laughs> Who knows what we could trust today that's going out all around the world today? What is truth and what is not? I want you to know this word is truth of what he's speaking to us this very day. And, and back, remember a few weeks back, I shared with you about how Isaiah, when he came into that presence of God, he says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm, un, uh, I'm unclean, I live among the people with unclean lips. He's not only confessing his own sins, he's throwing the whole congregation under the bus with him, realizing that we have that sin issue that when we come in the very presence of an almighty God, well, it kind of sticks out like a shining light or well, a spotlight more so. Or the fourth thing that happens is that we connect with the heaven's resources. I love that part because when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the resources of heaven was right there for him. And when we come into the presence of a holy God, I want you to know, my friend, is that the resources of heaven is right there for you. How many are open to receive those resources, those blessings of God? Amen. We all are. Well, I wanted you to look at this Old Testament sacrifice. So when we think of that Old Testament and the sacrifice that was brought, it was an animal that was brought before, well, the high priest. And it was unblemished. I, I, I told Pastor Anthony, I says, hey, you have a dog. Can, can you bring your dog? I'm going to sacrifice that dog for the illustration of the people. He says, I would have to sacrifice you first, Pastor. I'm sorry. And I kind of like, you know, there's God, his dog, then there's Pastor, you know, in, in that role. Well, I would never do something like that. But what they did is that, they got that animal, they sacrificed, they took the blood into the Holy Holies and took that animal's carcass and outside the city and burned it. But realizing, though, that the tabernacle was a symbolic presence of an almighty God. Did you know that in the Old Testament there are two tabernacles that they're talking about? There's a tabernacle of Moses and there's a tabernacle of Solomon. 
Some say it's the tabernacle of David. Well, David raised the funds and prepared to do it, but he didn't get a chance to build that. He wasn't getting permission to build that temple, and it was his son Solomon who was able to build that. But there's some things I want you to look at in comparison to understanding these tabernacles or these temples. Now, I'm going to be running fast through this, but this is a seminary lesson on the Old Testament and the New Testament in dealing with the sacrifice of praise. And I'm bringing it tying it all together to where we are this very morning. So the very first thing in the tabernacle of Moses, that it was situated on Mount Gideon. Secondly, it contained three areas. There was the outer court, there was the inner court, and there was the holy of holies. It was only the high priest that was able to go into that holy of holies. It was the people who stood back outside of that, waiting for that high priest to go in to bring the petitions of their needs unto a holy God. The third thing is that there was no singing or worship going on. It was pretty serious stuff because that high priest was going in to bring that 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 needs and that confession and and the 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 um, needs of the people before a almighty God. And the fourth thing, it was based on the law and based on the works. It was based on obeying God's law. Now. When we compare that, that tabernacle of Moses with the tabernacle of David or tabernacle of Solomon, actually, there's something a little bit different there. First of all, in the tabernacle of David or Solomon, it was situated on Mount Zion. Secondly, it only contained one area. It was not like the tabernacle of Moses where there was the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. There was, this was very significant because in that one area, it was an area where all the people, all the priests were able to go, not just the high priest, not just that one priest. And in that third thing, I want you to realize is that when they went in there, it wasn't, well, just bringing the needs. There was worship, there was song, there was dancing, there was laughter, there was clapping of hands besides the sacrifice. What we're seeing is that there was the uh, participation of all the people were able to have that. The No longer were they standing outside waiting for the high priest to come out. And the fourth thing, it was based on grace and it was based on faith. The, the understanding that those two tabernacles were in existence at the same time. When Solomon came into that position, is that there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There was the ten tribes in the northern kingdom and two tribes in the southern kingdom. In, in the northern kingdom, it was the tabernacle of Moses. So they went through all the rituals of what they normally would do in that tabernacle, what they've always done. In the tabernacle in the southern kingdom, in that tabernacle of Solomon, that they were able to have that joyful time. Why was it? Because in that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And where the Ark of the Covenant was, was where the presence of an almighty God was. I want you to understand that even though that they went through all the ritual worship that they could in the northern kingdom, that they they were 
coming confessing before him. They may have been even singing before him. But there was not the presence of God in that place. In the southern kingdom, there was that covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and the presence of an almighty God was there. And the people in the northern kingdom were not allowed to go down to the southern kingdom. Hmm. Now, when I look at that, Sometimes I think it's that that worship in those two tabernacles is something times of what we experience. You see, God inhabits the praise of his people. It doesn't say that God inhabits the songs that we sing. Sorry, Pastor Anthony. Uh-huh. It doesn't say that God inhabits the ritual that they go through or the liturgy that they go through. It doesn't say that it even inhabits the prayers. Wow. It says God inhabits the praise of people in Psalms 22, verse 3. You see, if we don't come into his presence, we could go through all the ritual that we went to, and it won't be praise unto the Lord. Because we're not coming into his presence. It's far more than just a ritual act. It's entering into the mighty presence of an almighty God. At Mount um, Gideon, they were doing all the right things, but they weren't really worshiping. I like in Second Chronicles, the fifth chapter, there's, there's a marvelous example because there is, this is when, well, Solomon was dedicating the temple. And, and, and this is where they were talking about the Ark of the Covenant coming into that southern kingdom. In first, well, I think, it, yeah, it's first Kings 8, chapter 11, verse. Here's, here's what was happening. The priests could not contain their, their service, be, uh, con, could not continue their service because of the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. What he's saying is that they were so captivated by the presence of an almighty God that that it couldn't be contained. I I love the song, uh, um, Only Imagine, is is that I, I don't know if we could stand or kneel, bow down or shout. I think it's all of that. But it's so overwhelming that at that time, it's just the people were just, well, they couldn't do anything. They were just in absolute awe of what just happened. Have you ever been in that place where you're in just absolute awe because you're in the presence of an almighty God? You know, and, and that just doesn't happen, my friend. H- how do we prepare ourselves for this? Is can, can I ask you some questions? This may even be in your sermon notes. Is, is God the center of your life, your praise? I love the response, yes. Amen to you. Do you have a personal time with God? Not only with the family, but you. Is God the central life of your family? 
Are you praying with your kids? Are you talking to them about God? Are you worshiping God together? I can remember when my grandma Rakosi, no, my grandma Pollock it was, my grandma Pollock, my mother's mother, when, when, when this lady died, she was sitting in her rocking chair, rocking, and she died rocking, and she had the Bible on her lap reading it. You want to talk about a way to go. I was so upset because the Bible was open and they closed it because you know, they were concerned about grandma. And, and I said, what was she reading? You know, I don't know. We closed it. You, you didn't see what she was reading at that moment when when, when we're talking about the pre- that she died and went into the presence of God. You see, by example. See, mom and dad, sometimes if we're not doing that, we say, well, when do I do that? Do I need to go to seminary to get to understand the Greek and the Hebrew and and and, and, and the deep truths of God's word before I could do this? When is it you could do that right now? And if you haven't done it, don't get all guilt-ridden and driven over it. Just say, I need to start it. This is the time, and especially during this Thanksgiving service that we're going to be having this Tuesday. What a great time to start instituting the time to be able to share with each other. And, and let me ask you something else, is that when you're coming to church, how do you prepare yourself in coming? Do you just, you know, show up? You know, and I realize it's much easier for me because I don't have a bunch of kids to get ready. It's just me. And, and but there's that sometimes you have to get all the kids in a car, get them dressed, and brush their teeth or whatever, and maybe not brush their teeth. I don't know. Oh, and, and, and uh, some of them they don't. I could tell. You know, I love you, Pastor. <sighs> you know, well, they didn't brush their teeth today, but that's fine. I'm glad they're in church. But here, here's here's the thing, is that when do we start teaching them? We start today. Start this week. What, what a great time to be able to do that. See, the, the Old Testament was this ritual things in which they went through. I, I want to jump into the New Testament just for a moment because we're no longer sacrificing by animal, but there had to be a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ that was brought before this. And there are three things that that sacrifice, the death of Christ did, dealing with the sin in our life. First of all, Jesus filled the law of God because in a sinful world, there has to be a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, it was Jesus Christ. Now, I know how I feel when when I deal with my shortcomings. Isn't that a cute way to say my sin, you know? We say, well, it's just my shortcomings, you know, I'm not perfect, and no, I'm not. And and, in times those sins are heavy upon us that we deal with, can you imagine that you would have to deal with yours and the rest of your families? And some of you, the rest of your family, got a lot to deal with. And, and there is then you have to deal maybe with your whole neighborhood, then maybe your whole city, then maybe your whole state, then maybe your whole country, or maybe the world. This is that burden which Jesus bore in caring 
the sins of the world. That's why when he was praying in the, in the garden that he was bleeding because he was feeling the, the heaviness, the brokenness, the sorrow of that sin in people's lives that he was taken to the cross. He fulfilled the law. That's why when John the Baptist in John 1.29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Did they people grasp at that moment who this actually was? I, I doubt it. But, but this Hebrew writer, he was talking to us about that sacrifice of, of praise. How do we sacrifice to God? When I come to church, I don't offer that, that animal sacrifice. What I offer up to him is that praise that I'm able to lift. It's a sacrifice of praise in which I take before the throne room of God. And what happens in our praise is, well, it is that aroma that rises up into the very heavenlies where it brings pleasure to God. He lifts us to those heavenly places. And those heavenly places that he could see that love. When, we, when Jesus died for us, there's, there's a second thing that happened is that Jesus removed that barrier from God. That vow was rent in two, my friend. That we all have that privilege. We are all priests before him. That you can enter into that holy place. That holy of holies. In the Old Testament, they prepared themselves to go into that holy of holies. We have that privilege to come in to that place where the resources of heaven is there for our taking that he so desires to bathe us in the glory of his presence. Folks, it is such a joy to be able to do that. And understand this, when I come <coughs> when I come into that presence, there is that intimacy that we're able to have. Jesus provides an intimacy with God. It's not even the idea of my prayers being answered. It is the idea of having that fellowship and that communion with a loving God. Realizing that I'm not alone in this journey. I'm not alone going through this suffering. It's as uncomfortable as these shingles are. Is the intimacy that I was able to experience in that, well, I wouldn't change. I, I had I had a friend, Tommy Painter, who came down, well, he died from the Lou Gehrig disease. And and it goes two ways, I've been told. One, it it attacks your body, but your mind is totally aware of how it's shutting down. And the other way, it attacks your mind and you're not aware of it shutting down. His, he was aware. And, and, and it was crippling. He, he was, in the latter days of his life, he was preaching in a wheelchair. They would wheel him up, put the microphone out where he could speak, and he would speak to the congregation about what he was going through. Tommy was a precious dear friend to me. He would tell me, Tom, I would not change 
a moment of health for the experience that I've had with him. There were days in which I felt like I was falling into an abyss, a bottomless pit. But experiencing the awe and the presence of God in the midst of it was nothing like I've ever experienced before. I want you to know something, my friend. It is not about us always being delivered. It is about that fellowship that we're able to have with him. That joy of knowing that he'll never leave us or he'll never forsake us. Yes, I want to be delivered. Yes, we want to be healed. Yes, we want life to be better. But there is nothing, even the best that we could have in life, can never compare with the glory and the presence that we could experience and that fellowship and that communion in which we could have with an almighty God. That worship brings us into that intimacy that we're able to have. Let me say this in closing. In the midst of the chaos in the world in which we are living in, we have the, <laughs> have the opportunity to praise him. In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 15 says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruits of uh, that uh, openly profess his name. There are three things I want you to take note of here. One, continually. Two, the sacrifice. And three, the fruits of our mouth continually praising him. Because when we continue to praise him, no matter what we're going through, my friend, you may not know everything that God is doing at that moment in your life. When I was 60 years old, I was on vacation, sitting in by the pool. It was a really nice time. I'm reading a book. And all of a sudden, I went, <gasps> and Arlene goes, what just happened? At that, that moment, had nothing to deal with the book. God, in a millisecond, revealed my life as a child to me, in a millisecond. I was abused as a child. And at that time, when I was 10 years old, I was at this old Pentecostal church, the Open Bible was called. Our church was a size, well, of maybe this one section here, if it was even that big. It was an old converted um, appliance store. And, and, and I, could, I could remember that morning that that pastor says, if you went to baptism of the Holy Spirit, come early to the church and go to the back room, prayer room they had. And it was only like an eight by eight, just a small little room with a kneeling bench around it. Go to that and begin, and you could begin to pray and be filled with the baptism. I had no clue. I just knew that the pastor says there was something that I could have from God, and I wanted it as a 10-year-old. I didn't know what the baptism was. So that night, that afternoon, I told my mother, Mom, I'm going to go to the church to get the baptism. She says, okay. I want you to know we live 10 miles away. And she says, okay. How was I going to get there? I'm this 10-year-old kid. I left the house. I don't know if she knew I left or not. I hate sight. 
to that church. A guy went into that church, a little appliance store, and no one was there. It was unlocked. I walked into the back room. It's a corner room. I walked into that corner room, and in that room was a well, it was kind of warm. And I knelt down. And when I knelt down, this 10-year-old kid who didn't understand what he was coming into, the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit hit me, knocked this 10-year-old kid down on his back. My hands went up. For four hours, I spoke in a language I didn't know. And right before that started to happen, I had my first and only vision. The ceiling opened up. The sky opened up. And this dove came down. And this 10-year-old kid for four hours held his hands in the air and praised God in a language he didn't know. I came out of that room because I prayed an hour before the service started. I prayed for the whole time during the service, and those weren't one-hour services back then, my friend. Then I prayed for another hour after that. Everybody left. My mom and and the pastor and a few people were there. I kept walking out of that room as a 10-year-old staggering. I was drunk in the spirit, and I tried to talk to them, and I couldn't talk to them because I kept speaking in tongues. And they would laugh, but they weren't laughing at me. They were laughing in joy because they realized that this 10-year-old kid has been in the presence of an almighty God for 10 years. I mean, at the age of 10. And listen, church, 50 years later, God reminded me of that. And I go, why? He says, you knew the abuse that you went through as a child. I want you to know I was aware of that. And when you were 10 years old, that you used to have these nosebleeds. Do you remember when they would cauterize your nose to stop the bleeding? He said, yes, that's what I did. I baptized you in fire. And every bleeding wound in your little young life was healed at that moment. That's why for the next 50 years you never had an issue with that because of the work that I'm able to do. I want you to know, my friends, when you are continually worshiping him, when you don't even feel or know what he's doing, you think that the ceilings are made of brass. I want you to know that God is at work in your life. And there are those times when it's all over with. Maybe it's a year or it's 50 years later. God reminds me, look what I did in your life. You've experienced that. You've seen things in your life that has happened years ago, and now you understand what God was doing at that very moment. That's why when I come into his presence, it's just not on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night. It is a continual worship that we're able to bring before him as a sacrifice of praise to him. The second thing is that sacrifice. I love this in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. It reads this way. Though the fig trees may not blossom, nor the fruit be be on the vine, though the labor of the olives may fail and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. That's not a good day, folks. Yet, I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. David made this statement. 
He said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not, I will not present a burnt offerings to the Lord my God that has not cost me nothing. I want you to know when you are going through the trials of your life, and we are this very day, this is not a very comfortable season that we are living in this world. But I want you to know when you offer him that sacrifice of praise, you are coming in to the very presence of an almighty God. And no matter what is going on around you, it has nothing to compare of what is going on inside you. There is that intimacy in which you're able to have. And that third thing, when we talk about that we should praise him with the fruit of our lips, audible. That Hebrew means that we're singing, we're praying, we're shouting, we're confessing. It is something that I do that I cannot contain within me because I come into that presence of God. And there's times I want to shout. There's times I want to weep. There's times I want to cry. There's times I want to laugh. But I tell you, there's never a time that I want to be silent because I am in the Holy of Holies. I am in His presence. And when that bell was cut in two, we have the privilege as I priest to come into His presence, my friend. So that sacrifice of praise that you offer to Him brings that intimacy that you're able to have with an almighty God. And that if, even if, as in Hebrews, that 11th chapter, there is some who did not receive the promise, but for a better resurrection, that when I come into that presence of an almighty God, when he calls me home, no matter what my life may have been, it may have been one of great blessing, or it may have been one of great suffering, but for better wreck, resurrection, I'm able to stand before God and say, it was worth it all, Lord, because I have an eternity to be able to worship an almighty God. You see, my friend, that sacrifice of praise is not that horrible. It is that opportunity to know that you are not alone, to know that he is always with you. He will never forsake you. Even when you don't even see it, he is there. He's doing something. It can be revealed to you one year from now or 50 years from now or in eternity. But I want you to know he loved you so much that he sent his son as the offering of that sacrifice of his love for you. How can I not praise him? How can I not give him a sacrifice of praise.